How's everybody doing? Good. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. And I believe God's just getting started right now. Amen. It is a pleasure. I realize with, with several new people that we've had uh, begin attending the church here recently. As I introduce our special guest today, he's the youth pastor right up the road here at Calvary up in Inverness. And uh, longtime family, we know his family from years and decades ago. And it's pretty wild that he went from Virginia to Hamilton, Alabama, met a Citrus County uh, a woman of God, got married and settled right here in Citrus County. And uh, Pastor Corey Ball, if you'd come, we're going to welcome him this morning. Good Christian Center Church, welcome to Pastor Corey. And he's going to tell you about what God's doing and uh, promote a couple things. And Corey, welcome, brother. Take your time. Uh-oh. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I had to walk away uh, during the third song. I went to the back and I just had to cry for a minute. Sometimes you just have to have a good cry. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? I had to just weep because I felt the anointing just hit the room. And uh, as we were singing the last song, don't you hear it? The sound of heaven touching earth. I just can't help but get my spirit super excited this morning because, yes, we're in the Christmas season. And aren't you glad that in a manger, the sound of heaven touched earth. And because of the Lord and His Son and Jesus coming to the earth, He has made a way because of the cross on Calvary's hill. The veil was torn so that we could be with Him forever. Aren't you glad that we are that we have access to the kingdom of God forever? So I'm super excited to preach to you this morning. Uh, I have a, uh, a message prepared for you called "Beloved Identity." Beloved Identity. But before I get into that, uh, my name is Pastor Corey. I've been here several times. It's so so good to be here. I love Pastor Jason and Pastor Leah and their family. And um, it's just an honor to be in the house of God this morning with you. I am the youth pastor at Calvary Church. Uh, before I came the youth pastor at Calvary Church, I have been traveling uh, with my evangelistic ministry for the past four years all around the world. God has been good to us. And going into 2023, we will be having a crusade in Manchester, England. So I ask that you guys pray for us going into 2023 as we see the glory of God touch the nations of the earth. Amen. Amen. And uh, one more thing, if you are a young person in the room, uh, I'm sure I will connect uh, with Pastor and them more. But we have a youth conference coming up on December 30th and 31st and at Calvary Church called the Volume Conference as we ring the New Year's in in praise. Come on, hallelujah. And um, believing for God to just saturate his presence on a young generation and that they would never be the same. Uh, we stress this conference at Calvary like we stress youth camp because we believe it's just so, so powerful. Right now we have youth groups coming from Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia. We're going to be packed wall to wall with young people going after Jesus. But we also want Citrus County in the room too. Amen. Amen. And um, so we invite your young people to join us for that. And it will be life changing. I heard uh, the other day there's a man in my church. Um, I'm not going to mention his name because some of you might know this man, but he's a great man. Um, And uh, he's had some struggles here lately uh, with his child and it touched me greatly because he was telling me, he just came to me like, Pastor Corey, I've done this, I've done that, I've done this. I thought, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's like, I took this away from her. I grounded her from this. She can't talk on the phone anymore. She can't text that person anymore. We've took everything away. And he said, but one thing we're not going to take away 
is the presence of God. And he said, we're going to do whatever it takes. She might not be able to go to sports. She might not be able to do this. She might not be able to do that. But we're going to get her to, we're going to get her to church every Wednesday, every Sunday. And I've come to testify to you this morning because a parent took their kid to the presence of God. Drug addiction broke in a moment. I've come to testify to you this morning. Suicide broke off of a young person in a moment. The reason I say all of that is people, parents in this place, when you hear about events for young people and what the church is doing for young people, do whatever it takes to get your kids in the presence of God. You know, we do whatever it takes to get them in the baseball tournaments and the basketball tournaments. Do whatever it takes to get them in the presence of God. Amen. Because everything on this earth, what? Passes away. But what we have with Jesus stands forever and ever and ever. Amen. 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 So Get them to conference. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, but the title of my message this morning is called Beloved Identity. I am so excited to talk to you about this. Um, so we are going to talk on the subject of what it means to pretty much be a son of God and how he calls us beloved. But before I do that, can I just brag on Jesus? I, the Lord got me about four weeks ago. I was preaching and he said, before you go up here and you, you deliver your message, I want you to brag about me. I have no problem with bragging about Jesus. How do you know that he's the star of my world? He should be the star of your world. He has been so good to us, so kind to us. There is nothing about his nature that is bad. And not only is he the star of my life and your life, but he's the star of the Bible. Do you understand that he is truly the star of the Bible? From the beginning all the way to the end. He is the star of the Bible. I am talking about the Son of God. Jesus. Yahweh. He is the Son of God. And he is the star of the Bible. He is God. And I'm going to prove that to you. How he's the star in every book of the Bible. Are you ready? In Genesis, he's the seed of a woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is a prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of the Lord's host. In Judges, he's the judge and the lawgiver. In Ruth, he's a redeemer. In Samuel, he's the son of David. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the broken down walls of Jerusalem. In Job, he's the ever-living redeemer. In Esther, he's our advocate. In Psalm, he is our great shepherd. In Proverbs, he is wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is the preacher. Come on. In Songs of Solomon, he is the lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he is the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the will in the middle of a wheel. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in a fiery furnace. Come on. In Hosea, he is a faithful husband. In Joel, he's the early and the latter rain. In Obadiah, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Haggai, he's the glory of the latter house. In Zephaniah, he is mighty to save. In Zechariah, he is the fountain open for sin and uncleanness. How many of you glad that he was the fountain open for sin and uncleanness? And Malachi, he's the son of the, uh, the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Come on. Woo, this is good. Now we're in the New Testament. In Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's the wonder worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the baptizer of the Holy Ghost and fire. I'm going to say that again because I'm Pentecostal and not ashamed to be Pentecostal. In Acts, he's the baptizer of the Holy Ghost and fire. 
justifier. In Romans, he's the justifier. In Corinthians, he's the gifts of the Spirit. In Galatians, he's the fruit of the Spirit. In Ephesians, he's the whole armor of God. In Philippians, he is the humble servant. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead mightily. In Thessalonians, he's our soon coming king. In Timothy, he's the judge of the quick and the dead. In Titus, he's our blessed hope. In Philemon, he's our friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's the better one. Come on, I like that. In Hebrews, he is the better one. In James, he is faith. In Peter, he is hope. In the three epistles of John, he is love. Come on, in Jude, he is the Lord among with 10,000 saints. And in Revelation, he is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Oh, he was dead. But behold, he is alive forevermore. And he is coming soon. Give God a shout of praise in this place if you believe it. I'm out of breath. (laughs) He is mighty. Amen? Amen. He is the star of the Bible. And I've come to preach to you a message and remind you who he is. And because we know who he is, we know who we are. Come on, that's good news. Because we know the king, we know who we are. I've come to remind you he's still a Hitler. I've come to remind you he's still a father. I've come to remind you he's still a friend. I've come to remind you he's still the fairest. I've come to remind you he's still a mender of the broken. I've come to remind you he still catches the tears you cry. I've come to remind you he still hears the prayers you pray. I've come to remind you he still answers the prayers that you pray. I've come to remind you, this is my favorite one, he loves you more. I'm going to say that again until you believe it. I've come to remind you that he loves you more. He loves you more. You know, when you're first getting, getting, getting it on, I guess, you know, you're falling in love and this girl's got your attention or this guy's got your attention and you text and you message and you talk and you know, I love you more. No, I love you more. You know, and this is like weird and awkward. Everybody's been there. Come on. And if you haven't, come on, you're going to start sweating here in a minute. Listen. We've all been there. You're just getting your feelings with somebody and you get all, you know, squishy on the inside. I love you more, but I've come to tell you, you might think, you know, love the Lord God with what? All your heart. heart. Yes, yes, yes. And yes, but he loves you more. You need to get that in your spirit this morning that he loves you more. If I took this whole sermon just to preach about the love of God, there is no way I could be done in 30 minutes. There is no way I could be done in an hour. There is no way I could be done in two hours. There is no way I could be done by this evening or by tonight or by tomorrow or next week or next week. Why? Because the love of God, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around it. It is so deep. It is so long. It is so merciful. It is so everything and everything. We can't comprehend it. His love for us. He loves you more. Come on, I don't know who needs to hear that this morning. But he loves you more. He loves you more. I've come to remind you he is your joy unspeakable, full of glory. (laughs) I've come to remind you that he calls you beloved. So what is beloved identity? Let's go to John 15 as I take a drink of water. You know, being Pentecostal my entire life, (laughs) when I went to seminary and started preaching and all that, you know, they never really taught us 
how to not lose your voice. <laughs> so I have mastered the skill of not losing my, of losing my voice. <laughs> when I preach, it's gone. So my wife is working on, baby, you got to drink water about every, every 10 minutes. Sip, sip water, sip, sip water, scream, talk calm, scream, talk calm, scream. So if she was here this morning, she'd be giving me the cues. Okay, good. That was Holy Ghost. Okay, bring it. But she's not here this morning, so I'm probably going to lose my voice. Hallelujah. But let's go to John 15, verse 9. As the Father loved me, this is Jesus talking, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. He's saying the same way the Father loves him, he loves us. Pastor Otis always says, this is my senior pastor, my father-in-law, he always says, he loves us as much as he loves himself. Oh, can you just wrap your head around that one? You, you, he loves us as much as he loves himself. On to verses 10 through 14. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Come on, we're friends of God. Aren't you thankful that he calls you friend? Come on. The God of the universe calls us friend. But friends of God keep his commandments. Uh Uh-oh. Here comes the evangelist. (laughs) Friends of God keep his commandments. Friends of God want to do what is right. Friends of God want to walk in the will that God has for their life. Friends of God don't want to do anything associated with sin. Anything that could mess up or cause discord between them and the Lord. Nothing of that nature. Why? Because we are a friend of God. We don't want to do anything that will hurt our friend. We don't want to participate in anything that would hurt our friend. Our friendship. We could all sit in this room right now and think of somebody that is a true friend in our life. Whether it's a family member, whatever it is, but someone you care deeply about. You love them so much, you think about them. Am I right? Come on, if you don't think about others, we're going we're gonna to do something. All right? But that friend that you think about. What they like, where they like to go, what they like to watch, how they like to talk. They probably wouldn't enjoy that place. And you, you, according to it's been the holidays, Thanksgiving, you might even be planning your schedule, planning your routine, planning your day around your friend that is coming. They don't like this, so we don't need to have this there. Or they're allergic to this, we definitely can't have that there. But you plan accordingly to the person that is coming. Are you following me? To be a friend of God, (laughs) maybe, just maybe, we need to start looking at our life and seeing what he wouldn't like to participate in. Follow me now. I am all about grace, 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 and grace. Hallelujah. Give God a shout for grace. But grace is not a get out of jail free card. You've heard me say it a million times. And if Jesus calls me friend, why do I keep going and turning back all these beers to meet all my needs? If Jesus calls me friend, why do I keep going and getting high every weekend to meet my need? If Jesus calls me friend, why do I go to this girl, that guy, this sin, that sin to meet the need I have? When he calls me friend, I've come to tell 
you that if Jesus calls you friend, not only are we thinking about what we can do and where we take him, he's thinking about what he can do and where he takes you. He will not make you feel empty anymore. He will fill you with a joy that you can't explain, that no alcohol can come compare to, no high can compare to, no relationship can compare to. Why? Because he meets our need. I've come to tell you, if he calls you friend, he thinks about you. And if you call him friend, think about him. There's a great evangelist that always says this. I never want to take Jesus anywhere that he would feel uncomfortable. And some theologians would come back and battle this argument that he is God. How in the world would he feel uncomfortable? And the dude talked back to the theologian. This is great. And I'm going back to my notes, I promise. And she said, sin. Sin is not his nature. Theologian went back and said, well, he hung out with the sinners. She said, yes, but he didn't sin with the sinners. His presence, his friendship, his lordship brought them out of where they were at. And they wanted to be where he is at. I've come to tell you that serving Jesus means leaving the old life behind. And chasing after what he has for you. And that is new life, new joy, a new feeling. And God wants to fill you today. Amen? Amen. Oh, this is so good. And the theologian just kept going back and forth. And she said this, and it has stayed with me for days in my study. And in my class, I was in a, I was in a course the other day. And we were, studying the book of he, uh, we were studying the book of Psalms, but we were doing it in Hebrew. So we're learning the entire book in the Hebrew language. And we were going through it. And I just couldn't help, because I was in this room. And all these theologians, all these scholars were just talking. And here's this wild Pentecostal Holy Ghost baptized field from the woods of Virginia. The woods! You think this is the woods, huh? <laughs> Have you ever heard of a little town called Norton? No. no. <laughs> the woods, 2,000 people total. Wow. Woods. <laughs> and here I am, and I love the Lord, and I see something that maybe our theo- theology has come to a point where it's all about academics <laughs> and less about encounter. I've come to tell you, and this scholar stood up and he said this too, and I was like, that's the dude I want to be under forever. He said, I have the doctorate degree, I have everything to back it and everything to show for it. But he said, the day my theology becomes absent of encounter, I don't want this doctorate anymore, I don't want this master's degree anymore, I don't want any of it. The day it becomes absent from encounter... I dropped this nugget on you this morning. If you're ever in a place, and I said in my church last Sunday, I was preaching the same message last Sunday to our people. I said, if Calvary ever becomes a place where we are talking less about the king and encountering the king and talking more about encountering me or encountering what we're trying to build and less what the kingdom's trying to build, I said, run. I said, the moment you ever hear me preaching like Pastor Corey wants all the glory, get away from me. Because it's all about the king and it's all about the kingdom. Amen? 
Amen. Mike Bickle says this. We're talking about the love of God. He is jealous for us. How many of you know that God is jealous for you? Scripture says he has a jealous love for us. It's a love, like I said, that we couldn't talk about unless we had eternity to talk about it. One day we'll talk about it. Amen. We'll all be in awe of the love of God around his throne. But Mike Bickle says this quote, and it is so amazing. He says, the wrath of God will take out anything that questions his love for us. The wrath of God will take out anything that questions his love for us. I've come to tell you this morning, if you feel like you're not loved or God couldn't accept you or you couldn't, but you don't belong or you don't fit in or maybe church isn't for you. You've done too much. You've messed up too many times. I've come to tell you the wrath of God will take out everything that's making you question his love for you. Everything that's quest- that makes you question his love for you, the wrath of God will take it out. Come on, that is good. That is good. That is good. And then we're going to go to John 16. Last Sunday, I, pre- I read the entire chapter of John 16. But what I'm going to do is summarize a little bit for you and then take you to where we're going. Is that okay? But in John 16, we find Jesus still talking to the disciples. He's telling them that he's about to leave, but he's going to come back again. And the disciples are getting really confused to the point where they say, I don't understand a word that this man is saying. Then Jesus overhears them talking like that. And he comes back to them and he says, oh, do you not understand what I'm trying to tell you? And they said, yes, Lord. And then he broke it down again that he is going. He's going to disappear. He's going to die. You're going to grieve. It's going to hurt. (laughs) But then I'll come back, come back. And he says it's going to be like a mother in labor. He says the pain, the anguish of her pain will give way to joy because of the baby that she's holding. He said it will be like that. It'll be like the pain of labor. It's going to extremely hurt. But a little while after that, <laughs> you're going to see the joy that was set before me. Come on. Amen. So we're going to go John 16, verse 20 and 21. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. But the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It'll be like a woman suffering the pains of labor when her child is born. Her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. Come on, there's so much to break down right here. I want to talk to you about the uses of the usage of words that Jesus uses. He says it'll be like a woman suffering the pains of labor when her child is born. Her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. He was talking about the pain the disciples would feel for a moment as he dies, but the joy they will have when they see him rise. But I believe this quote is a little more deeper than what it meant just for the disciples. I think it hit Jesus in the core of who he is. He will suffer the pain on the cross. But after this, the joy will come like a mother and her new baby to him. Why? Because Hebrews says he endured the cross for the joy. Come on. Set before him. Behold, now because of the cross and the blood, we are all what? Born again. We are all born again. We have all become sons and daughters of God because our faith in him. Like the scripture says, a mother's anguish gives way to joy. His anguish of the cross gives way to joy because we're finally able to come home. My goodness. 
His pain of our sin has gave way to joy because we're now sons and daughters. Come on, you've got to let this hit your deep revelation mind. Let it hit you. The gift of revelation fall on you. Let it hit you. The pain, the anguish of a mother gives way to joy because the child. The anguish of the cross gives way to joy because of the children. Who are the children? This room. (laughs) Myself. You, 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 Hebrews, the joy set before him. What if I told you, you were that joy? You were the one that says, I'll suffer this pain. (laughs) I'll go through this denial, this rejection, this, this, this worst couldn't even describe what will happen to me. I'll go through all of it. Why? Because of the child I'm going to hold. We are singing about Abba Father. You gotta let this hit your core. Abba Father. <laughs> the child the Father will hold. We're the children that He did it all for. We are the children that He did it all for. And the title of this message is Beloved Identity because I want you to understand as you leave this place, go back in your car, drive home, go eat, whatever you do, watch your NFL team lose, whatever. You know they will. Definitely be a Bucks fan. Come on. Ah. <laughs> Got to get out of here. Quick, Corey, quick. No, just... <laughs> but <laughs> you, I want this to hit your core. You are a child of God. You might be 10 years old. You might be 90 years old. Let this hit you this morning. You are a child of God. <laughs> And the cross and the reason Jesus left heaven and he annihilated the works of the enemy and he conquered death, hell, and the grave was for his children. It was for his children. It was his love for us. Why can I prove this? How can I prove this? John 3.16 For the Father so loved the world. I'm going to say it again. For the Father so loved It's all about His children. It's all about our dad. It's all about the family of God. And if we ever get our mindset out of the family, then friend, let me correct you this morning. It's all about the family. It's all about the family. Thanksgiving, you had your family over. This morning, the King of Glory wants you to come over. This morning, the King of Glory says, the gates are open wide. You just got to run through the gate. And there's a seat for you at the table. A seat for you with your name on it. And there's nothing you had to do to earn the seat. And this is where we really step on toes in church world. There's nothing. I've traveled the world, preached the world. I've traveled, traveled, preached in churches after churches after churches. When you look at me, you're like, man, he's got a good resume of preaching. He, he's done good. And he's still super young. Wonder what he's going to do. Wow. Wonder where he's going to go. I've heard this a million times. I could travel the world. I could plant 12 churches. God could explode my ministry. Glory to God. But guess what? The same person on the side of the road who just gave his life to Jesus and he's 75 years old. The same seat. 
that has my name on it. I hope the seat next to me has his name on it because it's nothing that I've done. It's nothing that I worked up. It's nothing that I earned. It's just the fact that I realized one day that my father bankrupt heaven so that he could have a relationship with me and I got on my knees and I cried out to God and he changed my life. You don't have to look like Pastor Corey. You don't have to look like Pastor Jason. You don't have to go start your own 5013C and start your ministry today to make you look like God can explode you. You just have to have the revelation that I'm his son and I'm his daughter and everything that he's promised a son and a daughter he's promised to me. If I could just preach one message to the church, it would be this message. Beloved identity, come back to the revelation that you're a son and a daughter. And you don't have to strive. You don't have to look the part. You don't have to go through the motions. You don't have to play the church game. You don't have to do any of that. You just got to realize who you are. Damon Thompson says something great. He says, the thing that freed me from religion and freed me from this, this mindset of laws in the church was the mindset of beloved identity. And he said something that really will mess with some church folk too. Sorry. I know I'm in church. It's one of the great things about being an evangelist, brother. Boom, blow up, blow out. I want to talk to that guy. Joke and I'll talk to every single one of you. I love you so much. But listen, he said one of the things that set him free was the revelation of beloved identity. It was just a simple revelation that I'm a son and a daughter. And we need less laws when we realize we're sons and daughters of a king. And not only when we realize, but when we come into agreement. With, when, with the fact that we're sons and daughters. You say, less laws. Yeah, you need less laws. Why is that? It's because when you walk in true identity of who Christ is in you, you don't want to break anything. You don't need a preacher preaching down your throat about hell and sin and all this, which I will. Come on, hell's a real place. Amen? Amen. Sin's a real thing that separates you from God. Amen? Amen. Oh, I love it. But you don't need... Pastor Corey standing on a seat preaching that into your ear when you get the revelation that you're a son and a daughter. Why is that? It's because you know hell is real. You know sin's a thing. But there is no desire on the inside of you to ever leave your father again because what he has given you as a child, you realize everything the world gave you was counterfeit and fake. And it wouldn't manifest to anything. But what the father gave you has forever and ever and ever established itself in the heavens and it will be with you the rest of your life. And there's not a fake thing about it. On your worst day, the love of God could pull you up. On your best day, the love of God could pull you up. I've come to tell you he's with you when you're crying your eyes out. And I've come to tell you he's with you when you've laughed 40 times a day. The Father's love is with you. And when you get the revelation of who you are in that love, you need less laws. You need less laws. Because you're not going to break any of it. 
So a righteous man falls, but then he gets back up. Yeah. But the desire to sin. Talking about that desire to sin. We can debate the fact that you stubbed your toe and said something later. I'm talking about the desire to sin. That desire you have to go to the bar tonight. And get drunk as a skunk. And wobble back into your house. Just to feel broke Monday. That desire leaves you. When you realize who you are in him. That desire to go back. And do the things that you used to do. It leaves. Because the father has something better. We need people to come into the revelation of beloved identity. Come on, that's good. And I love this. Jesus says in verse 27, For the Father himself loves you dearly, because you love me and believe that I came from God. Come on, the Father loves you dearly. I keep having to push my hair back. I apologize. I got my John the Baptist kind of season going on. I don't know what what I'm doing with this thing, but we'll see where it takes me. (laughs) Locusts and honey. I told told one guy, I said, what are you going to do if I grow my hair out? Because we had a real religious spirit one time. Came in the church. I love confronting a religious spirit. I told the guy, I said, what are you going to do? Because he's a pastor court. I love your preaching. You're a good preacher. Thank you. He said, but your hair. <laughs> if you're a preacher, you know what I'm talking about. Great sermon. You hit everything. But <laughs> your shoes, <laughs> your hair, your jeans. Oh, you wear a suit like pastor. I'm not, I'm not him. I'm me. And I looked, I said, but what are you going to do? If I grow these, these locks out and I throw it in a bun, what are you going to do if I quit wearing even a jacket and I just got a t-shirt on and I get ink all up and down my arm? What are you going to do if I keep wearing my Jordans? What are you going to do if I look different than everybody else? You going to judge me? You going to come at me and say, God just can't use him. I shared a story in this where I'm going with this. There was one camp meeting. I was, I'm real big in the Pentecostal church, Church of God circle, and then we did a Church of God camp meeting. Powerful. Powerful. But in this, I had to wear a suit and a tie. Totally. Listen, I love my suit. When, when it's the right tie, I, I could rock a suit and a tie. So I came in my suit and tie, and I was jumping down there with everybody, and we were preaching. We were preaching with fire, and God was moving. Loved it. Everybody looked the same, though. <laughs> Our dresses, our suits, and our ties. There's nothing wrong with that. I still have a great honor for that. But there came a man busting in this church service in shorts, sparries, tattooed from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, ran to this altar, and it's like they didn't want to touch him. And I remember the Lord spoke to me, and he said, what if what I'm doing in this last hour Looks more like them being the preachers than them being the preachers. 
And he said, you better wrap your arms around this boy. And you better speak the life of God on the inside of him. And I ran to this boy. I grabbed this boy. And I said, the love of God invade your life right now. Because the plans he has for you is greater than anything you've ever thought about. Anything you ever dreamed about. God's going to use you. This day he's launched in ministry. This day he's traveling the world preaching the gospel. The reason I share that story is to not knock suits or ties or any of that. It's just to knock the religious mindset that God can't use somebody that looks different. God can never anoint somebody that doesn't look the part. I've come to tell you that in this last day revival and the third great awakening before Jesus comes back, I'm believing with everything on the inside of me, the preachers preaching the revival are going to be the ex-convicts. It's going to be the one society wrote off. It's going to be the ones nobody wanted anything to do with. But God said, my word is true. If you love your Bible and read your Bible, what did God do with people like that? Some, I saw, I saw what God did. You talk about a crook, a murderer, but he was turned into the greatest evangelist and missionary the world has ever known. Don't tell me God can't use somebody because they look different. Kingdom of God is bigger than what we try to make it look like. And I'm believing that in this last day, the prophet Joel prophesies, I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh. I'm believing in this last day move of God that we will see every single person. We'll see the crook. We'll see the doctor. We'll see the one that's in the full suit. We'll see the one in the tank top and shorts holding hands, going after the same God and the same kingdom. And our mindsets and our minor disagreements won't keep us back from our major your agreement and that is Jesus is the king of kings and the lord of lords and he is the only way to the father and if you don't have relationship with him repent for the day of the lord is at hand oh come on come on come on come on I'm ready for God to shake it up take some water My wife was here. I'd say thanks, honey. <laughs> I'm believing what God wants to do in the world is unifies yes. like never before. Yeah. I could come to you today and preach my eschatology to you, but I'm not going to do that <laughs> because I believe. Preach <laughs> because I believe. You want to know what I believe? My pastor always says this, even though we have, a, you know, our true belief and we'll break it down, but not today. He says, come on, pan trip. It's all going to pan out anyway. But we make such a disagreement and such a, I've seen churches split over eschatology. When we all agree that Jesus is the one that's coming back for the bride. <laughs> We need to preach Jesus. I believe what God wants to do is unify the body like never before. Quit letting the devil break us up. Amen? Amen. Oh, my, my, my. Come on, Jesus. Quit letting the devil get in and mess up our beloved identity. 
Because beloved identity is not only how you look at yourself and how you identify as yourself in Christ, but beloved identity is also how you look at your brothers and sisters and identify them. I shared that whole story because if they confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of their life, listen, we'll know them by their fruit. The gift of discernment, you'll be able to spot what's real and what's fake. But I'm going to tell you one thing. I've been around some people from the outside. It didn't look real. You just, from my mindset, just there is no way. But when I got to know the person, I found out that there's not even a TV in their house. What in the world? Why? Because he doesn't want the outside world messing up his home and his communion with God. And from the outside, I looked at this guy. I would have never guessed it. But I walked in his house, and it was one of the holiest, craziest prayer intercession field houses I have ever been in. But then I walk into a house that I look like would be that house, and it's not. (laughs) Beloved identity, are you able to look at the one that your flesh wants to tell you there's no way? But you're able to look at them and say, but there is a way. (laughs) Are you able to look at everybody in this room today and love them? For love the Lord your God with all your heart. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. So if you love your neighbor as yourself and you got the revelation of beloved identity, then you have to love your neighbor in the revelation of beloved identity. And that means God loves them despite their sin. God loves them despite what they look like. God loves them despite what they smell like, where they come from, who they hang out with. God loves them. And when, if we're not able to look at our brothers and sisters with beloved identity, friend, get to the altar this morning. Because God wants you to look at each other the same way he looks at you. And he looks at you and he calls you what? Beloved. Oh my, 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 my. Now I'm going to share these two stories and we're going to sum this thing up. Man, I'm doing good, doing good. So it was about four weeks ago I went on a trip. I was preaching in a church in Dadeville, Alabama. And Dadeville, Alabama is 45 minutes outside of Auburn, Alabama. And if you know one thing about me, I am a diehard Green Bay Packer fan. And I'm a diehard, yeah, I know. I'm a diehard Auburn Tiger fan. Like, why in the world are you in Florida? Listen, God put me here. We can get along, beloved. But I'm a diehard Auburn fan. So I went up to preach at this church and I said, you know what? It's 45 minutes from the church. I could make a little trip out of this one. So I called my dad. I said, Dad. I said, let's go to the Auburn game on Saturday, and then I'll preach at the church on Sunday. He's like, oh, yeah, my dad's an Auburn fan, too. The reason why we're Auburn fans is my uncle played football in Auburn. So it's just kind of in the family. And my dad was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sounds great. I was like, sweet, I will meet you there. So I got there, and I got to the stadium, parked about a mile away from the stadium. Oh, my gosh. Have you, been, you guys been to sporting events? You know what I'm talking about? You know, you can either pay $358,000 for a parking place or you can walk a mile and a half, two miles, three miles. I'm going to walk a mile and a half, two miles, three miles. And I parked way, 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 way far away from the stadium. And it was free parking. Come on, you got to do what you got to do. Evangelist budget. And I parked way out there and I started walking down. Don't have my tickets. My dad took care of all that. He got all the tickets. So I was walking to the stadium. I kept calling my dad. You know, where am I going to meet you? I'm already in the stadium. You have my tickets. Yep. I'm not in the stadium. Just tell them that Mike Ball sent you. No one knows who we are in Auburn, Alabama. He goes, 
whatever, Corey. And he sent me, you know, the little phone ticket. I guess it was too hard to send the, phone, the ticket. So he sent me the ticket. I got through the stadium to call him back. Dad, where are you? I'm on the field. There's 100,000 people in this stadium. It's huge, packed out, playing Arkansas, got killed. But I'm up here looking through the time. I'm like, I'm in section 215, and my dad's down on the field. I said, how in the world am I going to get to you on the field? I'm just going to go to where our tickets say that we sit. I'll wait on you. Come down to the field. Okay. I don't have the wristband to get on the field. (laughs) That huge cop who looks crazy big. I mean, this dude was jacked. Is standing right here at the gate that you're telling me to just walk right by him. Yeah, that's going to happen. I can't walk. He's a tree trunk, bro. He's going to move. I could not get by this. He's a massive cop. And I was just like, okay, walk down there. I said, so what do I do? He said, tell him Mike Ball sent you. And doubt hit my heart. Because <laughs> we're in Auburn. If we were in our little 2,000 people town in Norton, I'd tell him Mike Ball sent me. Come on. But here, there is, no, there is more, there is quadruple the amount of people in this stadium that's in our hometown. And I went to the guy, I went to the cop at the gate, and doubt hit my heart. Where's your ticket? <laughs> Showed him the ticket. Sir, your section's up there, 215, C18. Okay. <laughs> Doubt hit my heart. I didn't want to tell him. My dad said me. And then as I was turning around, I was like, oh, no. I just that's The worst he can say is no. Turn back around. <laughs> I said, Mike Ball sent me. Right this way, sir. <laughs> oh, open the whole field. I walked through like I was the coach of the Auburn Tigers. I mean, walked police escort, took me right to the 50-yard line. And then my dad's sitting on there like, like he really is the head coach of the Auburn Tigers, has all of his Auburn gear on, and says, what took you so long? And I get there, and we were on the 50-yard line, watched the, the, um, watch him flip the coin, hung out with the players and the coaches, got to see all that cool stuff. Went back to our seat, and the Lord gave me a sermon. Beloved identity. (laughs) I had no reason, no business to get on that field. I had no ticket. I had no wristband. I didn't belong to step foot on that grass. But when I told them who my daddy was. When I told them who my daddy was, the treatment they gave my daddy, they gave to me. I didn't have to earn it, didn't have to work for it, didn't even have to buy it. They just gave it to me. All because of who my daddy was. And I got to experience the full benefits of what he had. I've come to tell you, friend, it's all about who our daddy is. We don't deserve it, but because of who he is, we get it. We get access to the kingdom because we look like the king. We get access to heaven because the Lord said we get access to it. I got to get on the football field because my daddy said I got to get on the football field. It's all about knowing who your daddy is. And I've come to tell you, your daddy, our daddy, Yahweh, is way greater than Mike Ball. Yahweh is way greater than our earthly fathers. Yahweh is beyond what our minds can comprehend. So how much more do we have in him? 
Oh. Get this. I had, I had privileges. Y'all on there, man. 50-yard line. Talking to the coaches. All that. It's like I had gifts. When you get the revelation of beloved identity and you serve this man, Jesus, you find out what Jesus likes to talk about. And Jesus likes to talk about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus in Acts confirms himself as the baptizer of the Holy Ghost and fire. And he baptizes you with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And now you have access, oh my gosh, to the gifts of the Spirit and the working of God through you. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. You have access and Jesus says greater things will you do why because what the father had he has given to you give god a shout of praise come on come on come on and to wrap this up this jacket this jacket i am sweating didn't really want to wear this jacket this morning i had this nice suit jacket that's thin i was like that's the one God said, this is the one. (sighs) Last week, he just let me use it as a sermon prop. This week, he told me to put it on. (laughs) So thick. I'm burning up. (laughs) But this jacket was my granddaddy's jacket. And not only was it my granddaddy's jacket, it was my daddy's jacket. And now, you guessed it. It's my jacket. But on this jacket, it says Ball Construction Company. If you know one thing about me, I'm not a contractor. I am not a carpenter by no means. I got a wife and a kid. My dad came to my house yesterday from, from Virginia. Flew down to uh, visit. We were Thanksgiving. He came down and he put together my baby girl's new toddler bed. Thank God. Because I was looking at that box and the guide to do it, the manual. And my wife was like, good luck. And I'm like, who can I text? I'll pay. I'll pay good money. (laughs) I can't figure this. It was hard. I'm not a carpenter. I'll drill the wrong hole. And then I'm the kind of carpenter that says, it doesn't look that bad. And it's terrible. You know what I'm saying? But my dad, he is that by trade. He is amazing. He's been a construction worker his whole life, started his own company, went from residential stuff to commercial stuff. Now he builds hospitals and stuff. I mean, he's just started out building sheds. He's ridiculously gifted in this area. So was my grandfather. And then here I came along. That can't, you know, put the nail in the right place. I don't deserve the jacket that says Ball Construction Company on it. Because by no means have I contributed anything to Ball Construction Company. I've not helped them out an inch. I got fired in high school. <laughs> yes, yeah, son, I just, the nice fire. You know, son, I just, yeah. Let your brother do it. Oh, it's all right. But I still got the jacket. That says Ball Construction Company. I still can go home to my dad's offices and his corporation and walk right in to where all of his employees are who know how to put the nail in the right place and sit right at that table and eat with them, talk with them, hang out with them, cut up with them like I'm one of them. 
But I can't do anything that they do. But I get all the benefits. As if I could. Why? Because my daddy. Because my daddy. I've come to tell you. You might not be able to say, I can't preach like him. I can't pray like pastor. I can't lead like Leah. I can't sing like them. I can't play an instrument. I don't look the part. But in the family of God, you might not be able to do everything they do. But there's a jacket. There's a jacket, a ring and a rope that fits you. It fits you and it fits you good. I love this jacket because it fits. It fits good even though I can't do anything that this jacket says I can do. But it fits good. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But it fits good. I've come to tell you, you might say I can't do what they do. But I've come to tell you the kingdom of God fits you too. I've come to tell you heaven fits you too. I've come to tell you there's a seat at the table for you too. And you can come on into the family of God, sit with us, dine with us, cut up with us, pray with us, because you belong, because the same daddy that anointed me to be a preacher of the gospel is the same father that anointed you to be a son and a daughter too. And we're after this thing together. Say amen. Amen. Come on. I'm going to call you into beloved identity. You're children of God, nothing less, nothing more. Come on. We're His because we're His. We will always have more than enough. Come on, speak that over yourself. You will always have more than enough. Come on. He is your hope. He is your joy. He is your strength. Come on, in the world that we live in right now, with all the chaos breaking out, all the theories, the conspiracy theories, this, that, and the other, what's happening? When Jesus is coming back? When war is going to break out? Are we ready? Are we ready? I've come to tell you, He is my joy unspeakable, full of glory. He is my joy unspeakable full of glory. When the world's going up in flames the kingdom of God will rise up out of the glory. Everybody gets so scared when to run off in caves when chaos breaks out. I get excited because that means the world's looking for something to be real. The world's looking for something to save them. The world's looking for something to be shining in the lights besides darkness. And I've come to tell you, when darkness invades the earth, get ready. The light of His glory will overtake the darkness. The greatest revival we will ever see will be in the midst of the world going crazy. Oh, I could preach. I could prove to that. Go back and... (laughs) The history of wars in the world. If you study revival history, you would be blown away. Blown away by when wars and chaos is breaking out in the world, what God is doing in the church. You would lose your mind. Go look it up. Because we're His, we're always going to want to do good. Because we're His. Because we're His, we know that greater is He that is in us. Hallelujah. Than he who is in the Because we're his, sickness has to leave. And pain has to go. Come on in Jesus' name. Do you believe that God still heals? Do you believe that? I'm going to say it again over you. Because we're his, sickness has to go. And pain has to leave. Amen? In the name of Jesus. Because we're his, our family will serve him. 
Your children will love him the way you love him. For if you raise a child up in the faith and show them the things of God, I promise you, one day you'll see the seed and the fruitfulness of what you did. The Bible says you will. Be hard for them to depart. They won't depart from it. Why? Because you planted a seed and it will grow and take root and sprout one day. Why? Because you're his and you declared as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And there might be some mama and daddies in this place and your kids are living a wayward lifestyle. But I want you to keep saying it over your house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and you will see the faithfulness of God. Come on. Do you believe that? Amen. I had my grandfather, one of my uncles, was a homosexual. And he was the first homosexual to come out really in our town. This is my great uncle who was in the 80s. And he came out as a homosexual, left his wife, left his kids. And um, the small town did not, you know, did not like it. Obviously, we didn't like it either. And because the Bible preaches against it. Amen. Amen. We'll say that again. Preaches against it. Amen. Amen. But we still loved him. Amen. Amen. And my papa watched his son, who he raised up in church. My papa was the, the monarch of the family, the preacher, the preacher's preacher. And raised his son up in the church. And his son goes off to live this lifestyle. Left his kids and his family. Got with a man, moved to Florida. And left his family in Virginia and was gone for 20 years. But papa kept praying. Papa kept loving his boy. I would call his son, and they would talk on the phone, and he'd say, Daddy loves you. Daddy loves you. When are you going to come home? And he said, put Earl on the phone, and Earl was his partner. And my papa would say, Earl, Daddy loves you. When are you going to come home? And he wasn't talking about home, like, oh, come home, we're okay with this. He was talking about coming back to Christ. But he said, we love you. He always made sure that they knew that they loved him. And I remember my mom telling me this story because they passed away before I was born. But mom said that there was one day Papa was preaching. On a Sunday morning like this. And the doors swing open in the back of the church. And he's preaching about the prodigal son. And here comes Ronnie. Walking down. Crying his eyes out. But Ronnie came home and gave his life to the Lord. Come on, if you start, if you are faithful to raise them up in the house of God, the world might say they're gone forever. But the kingdom of God... What the world says is gone. God says I'm bringing it close. God says I'm returning it. Come on, amen. Receive that for you. Come on. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Receive that for you this morning. If you have a wayward son and daughter, receive that for you. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus, how Ronnie came back to know the Lord and is in heaven right now. We prophesy that to you, that your wayward sons and daughters are coming home. Amen. Amen. Because we're his. Shout, we're his. We're his. But in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What is Paul trying to tell us? He's telling us this. We are sons and daughters of God through faith in him. Don't give me the sonship card if you've not repented of your sin, picked up your cross, and went after him. We are sons and daughters of God through faith in him. 
It's through faith in Christ. For the Bible says he is the firstborn of many brethren. It's faith through Christ that we become sons and daughters and co-heirs of the kingdom. So with that said, looking around this room, I believe a good majority of you, actually I feel like I feel a good majority in this room, you've put faith in him. And you know, and I hope today it rings a little bit louder, a little bit truer, that you're beloved. And that you're a son and a daughter. And the things that belong to the Father belong to you. And you have access to the king because you look like a you have access to the kingdom because you look like a king. But for those in this room today who have not put faith in Jesus, then you don't even know what beloved identity is. You can't you don't even know what us believers in this room. Come on, can you wave at me if you've been saved for years? Come on. Can you wave at me if you've been through the valley but God brought you back to the mountaintop? Can you wave at me one more time if you know what it feels like to feel the love of God come into a situation? Thank you. Come on, we we know. But if you're in this place today and you have yet to put faith in Jesus, you don't know. You think you're being loved. You think you've experienced love. You think you've encountered love, but you don't even know. You think you've tasted it, but you haven't. You might say, oh, well, that guy, he he showed me love. You've not come close to love. Well, my mom and daddy, they, they loved me. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they loved you. But you've not even tasted this kind of love. Well, they gave me everything I needed. I didn't have to worry about anything growing up. Awesome. They did a great job. But you don't know what this kind of love is. This kind of love takes something that's broken and puts it back together. This kind of love goes to the deep place of you that you hid from mama and daddy all them years. That mama and daddy have no clue about Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Can I minister to you? This kind of love goes to that hurt of that man that touched you. And no one in your family, this is the Holy Ghost, I hear him speaking to me, knows that this happened. And it has messed you up the rest of your life. But you keep putting it under the rug. But this kind of love goes to that hurt that nothing else can fix and nothing else can make right. But this kind of love can take that kind of hurt. And you might say, how can he heal it? How? 
this kind of love is the remedy to everything that the enemy tried to kill you with. And you've tried everything else in the world to make that hurt go away. And it's failed you time and time again. But this kind of love wraps you up. Takes that pain and gives you joy. There is a woman that I met three years ago. I feel the Holy Ghost. Her name was Rachel. She stumbled into a conference, a youth conference. She's six, 17 years old. I was preaching this youth conference. And the Holy Ghost, just like this, spoke to my ear and said, Corey, she's been raped. And there's a crowd of like 300 people in the room. I'm like, ah, I don't want to release that. Lord, I know. Tell her I'm bringing her justice. I remember I stopped everything. I looked this little girl in the eyes. I said, young lady. I didn't put it out there for the world to know that what, what I heard the Lord say. But I said, young lady, someone did you wrong. She just began to weep. But the Lord said he's bringing you justice. And she fell to her knees and bawled. We went on about the altar call and was laying hands on kids. And I stumbled back on her. And I said, young lady, stand up. She stood up. I said, look at me in the eyes. I said, by this time tomorrow, God's going to bring you justice. Faith hit me. She said, do you mean it? I've told my daddy, I've told my mama, I've told the police, nobody can bring me justice. They just told me this, it's life. I said, but God said, he's bringing you justice. And she took me for my word. She went, we closed the conference and I was like, I got out of the spirit, you know. I got back into my normal thinking and I was like, oh no. (laughs) What did I just say to this young girl? Because she believed every word I said. And we went back to day two of the conference and I'm preaching again. And here runs in this 17-year-old girl named Rachel. But this time, her tears look a little bit different than what they looked like yesterday. See, there's a tear of pain and hurt. But then there's a tear of joy. She came in with a smile on her face and tears running. Oh, Pastor Corey. You said by this time tomorrow. I said, ah, yeah. I did. She said, what you don't know is yesterday before the conference I went to Belk. And I was trying to find me an outfit to wear to the church. And I went to the dressing room and a man followed me in the dressing room. And I thought he was an employee, so I didn't really say anything until he got into my stall. And he put his hand over my mouth and did things to me right there that no one should ever have done to them. And he left. 
And I got up, went to the employees, told them what happened, but there was no security footage back there because it's a dressing room. And they didn't get the footage of him walking back there. They couldn't find anything. But it happened. Called the police and the police said there's no evidence. There's no proof here. We don't know what. Just kind of dropped it. Remember what she said? It's life. But she still bought her outfit after being broken. Come on, you talk about strength. You talk about a supernatural strength. She still put her outfit on and came to church that night after just being molested because she understood that there's no other love that could take this away except His. And she stumbled into our church service and a skinny little preacher stopped her and said, by this time tomorrow. She said, I've come back to tell you today, Pastor Corey, that the police just called me and my family and asked me, is this the guy that did that to you? And I said, yes, it was. And they have locked him up and he got arrested for everything that he did. You said this time tomorrow and God did it. We prayed for her healing and her pain to go away. Still pray for her daily. But I share that story with you in closing. To tell you. There's a greater love. And this love does not only just heal the broken hearted. Restore what's been lost. This love, this love defends you. This love goes before you, goes behind you. This love justifies you. This love takes care of you. This love causes the enemy to be your footstool. And this love is Jesus. The Son of God, born to the earth, came in a manger by a virgin. His birth was supernatural. To grow up, to live a supernatural life, to do the works of God even at a young age, knowing who he was and who his father was, but waited until his time to come. And then he came into the fullness of everything God called him to be. And signs and wonders broke out. And people heard the message of the kingdom being preached. And he died on a cross. Because it's what the prophets foretold. That the perfect one had to die the terrible death. But on the third day, he got up out of the grave. I'm going to say it again. But on the third day, he got up out of the grave. The veil was torn. And he has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And he said, I did all of this so that you could be with me forever. You are the beloved of Christ. And if you don't know your beloved, today's the day for you to walk in your beloved identity. Today's the day for you to accept the fact that you are a son and a daughter of the king. Come on, stand to your feet all across this place. For the Bible says in Galatians, it's our faith in Christ that makes us sons and daughters. Yeah, amen. you got to put your faith in Christ.
Brothers and sisters, put your faith in Christ. The definition of beloved is simply dearly loved. (laughs) The definition of identity is simply being the fact of that. So the definition of beloved is dearly loved or deeply loved. And the definition of identity is the fact of being that. I want you guys to leave this place this morning knowing that you're dearly loved. Deeply loved. And I want you to walk in the boldness of being the fact of being that. The fact of being deeply loved. Come on, are you the fact of being deeply loved? In this place where no one looking around, every head bow, every eye closed. Spirit of God, we ask that you come into this place. Convict the hearts of men. Father, if we have chased anything else, desiring love, we ask that you reroute our course this morning. Route us to your love. A love that goes deeper, a love that stays longer. Father, for every person in this room who doesn't know you as Lord and have yet to become a son and a daughter of a kingdom through faith in Christ, I pray right now that you wrap your love around them. Shame and guilt has to go. Opinion of man has to go. That they're not ashamed to lift their hand up. For heaven will rejoice at the boldness of their faith. So right now, with no one looking around, if you're in this room and you've yet to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you've yet to put your faith in Him, and you say, I want to be a son and a daughter, the beloved that this preacher's been talking about, I want you to lift your hand. I want you to lift your hand. Thank you, thank you. And now a second call. If you're in this place, maybe you've been in a hardship here lately, a little trial, a little error, and you've forgotten about how much you're loved, and you just need a fresh reminder of God's love for you this morning, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you and remind you of who He says that you are and what He says that you have. I want to show you your seat at the table this morning. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Come on, if that's you, if you just need a fresh revelation of God's love for your life, can you just lift your hands? Come on, don't be ashamed. (laughs) He loves you. He loves you despite everything. He loves you. I know you dropped it. He loves you. I know you said that. He loves you. I know you went there. He loves you. Don't do it again, but he loves you. And if you did it again, he loves you. His love goes beyond what our minds can comprehend. 
So this morning, Father, over everybody in this room, I pray a special prayer of blessing. I pray, Lord, as your servant John would pray, the one you loved, who laid his head on your breast, Lord, I pray this morning. We just want to hear your heartbeat. And feel your embrace. We want to be the ones you deeply love. And we thank you that we are. So Lord, I pray over your children this morning as they leave today that they're loved, called, redeemed, anointed. And they have access to things that they don't deserve. But they have access to it. Just because they're loved. So may your love be with them all day. As they go home. As they eat dinner. As they go to work tomorrow. May they feel your love. Love of God. Touch us. Man in the black suit right here with the tie. With both your hands lifted up. Spirit of God's all over you my brother. Let the love of God touch you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. I hear the Lord saying he's making the wrong thing right for you. I hear the Lord say the bridge is being put back together. He's restoring the bridge. Don't really know what that means. But you do. God's making it all right. God's making it all right. All right. A-L-L right. He's making it all right. Every bit of it. We thank you, Lord. Come on, can we give God a shout of praise? I think I went about an hour and eight minutes. I apologize. But God bless you guys. Such an honor to be here. Amen. Come on, let's hear a good Christian center shout for Pastor Corey. We appreciate him. And uh, Pastor Corey, you know you're loved here, right, my brother? We love you dearly. Pray for his ministry. Support his ministry. They got the conference coming up here at the end of December. And where can they go to find out more information to sign up for that, Corey? Yes. Yes. Calvary.online slash events. Calvary.online slash events if you want to sign up for that coming up. How many? It's been good to be in God's house. Amen. Oh, yes. Hey, if you're, if you're visiting with us today, we appreciate you coming. We appreciate you uh, being with us. Please come back again. And let me bless you as we go today. Heavenly Father, I pray your richest, most awesome blessings upon this congregation. Father, this expression of your body. As we've gathered here today, may they be blessed going in and blessed going out. May they be blessed at work and blessed in their home. Father, we speak your blessings and we believe and receive your blessings. God, we are your beloved. We belong to you and you belong to us. Father, may we walk in that revelation the rest of the day, week, month, and years ahead that we are the beloved and blessed of God. Father, I bless Christian Center in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said...